And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. Live, am I on? Live from Studio C. C, Senior. A dimly lit room deep up in the bowels of the Armstrong and Getty Communications compound. And hey, everybody, today we're under the tutelage of our general manager, the Taliban, apparently. Yeah. Where do we even start on this story? They're going to be taking over New Jersey next, or California or something. Which direction are they coming from? Good Lord. Where do you even start on this story? Absolutely amazing weekend. We were off on Friday. I would have never guessed that this much could change in that many days, but it did. And uh, and we'll talk about it. And we'll also take your texts at 415-295-KFTC. But seriously, where do you start? The disconnect between... Crank up the music, Mike. Here we go. Big finish. The disconnect between the people on the ground who know what's happening and the word from those above them who fashion our perception of what's happening, usually to their own advantage and and blatantly dishonestly. Yeah. uh, One of the many things that I uh, want to talk about, and I, I hope that a lot of focus ends up on, so I was taking in um, this guy Whitlock, who wrote a new book about uh, the uh, he he was behind the Afghan Papers, the Washington Post thing from a couple of years ago, and now he's got a book out about it. And I'm guessing that he and his publisher timed it around what they thought was going to be the withdrawal of uh, from Afghanistan, that because it had been good timing for that book to come out because it's coming out mm-hmm. here in a couple of weeks. It's not officially out yet, and they missed it by a little mut a bit because mm-hmm. it only took six days for the Taliban to take the country back. But anyway, so I, I saw some interviews with him and I did a little reading from his book and watching some uh, speeches he gave, and to me, and thankfully. The media has mostly not gone, for for the first time in I don't know how many years, the media has mostly not gone into its, you know, Trump bad, Biden good, or vice versa thing on this. Everybody's just like, this is just a disaster all the way around. All the Mm -hmm. way around a disaster. Everybody's to blame. It sucks. I mean, it's embarrassing. What the hell? Um, and this, Although there has been a heavy dose of Biden owns this from some uh, surprising sources. No doubt. And uh, so the Squitlock guy on the Afghan papers him talking about how this is this is the way it's been for most of the 20 years as you just said a complete disconnect from the ground to the top and that's what needs to be looked at how do you avoid this happening what whether it's your own company or the war in afghanistan how do you find out at the top what is actually freaking going on so I, I've been watching Richard Engel for NBC News, who's one of the best foreign correspondents there is, and he keeps saying with like a, a, a smirk on his face, not a, a you know a happy smirk, an unhappy smirk. Richard, can you believe this happened? Yes, yes, I can. This is what I've been reporting for the last several weeks and several months. Richard Engel, are you surprised this happened so fast? No, no, I'm not. This is what I've been saying was going to happen for the last several months. Every news report, if you go back and look at them, this is what I've said was going to happen. I've been in all these provinces, in all these towns, I've been talking to the Taliban. This is exactly what I said was going to happen. Wow. And 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 wow. so and then how do you end up with Joe Biden at the top and the people beneath him saying, "No way, this is going to be another Saigon." 
you know, even behind the scenes, they were saying Kabul could fall in six to nine months or six to nine days. I mean, how how are you? How does Richard Engel know so much more about a war than the president of the United States? And how do you avoid it's a, that? It's a congenital condition of humankind. It's a, the lesson is learned over and over again through history. You know, you can cite Vietnam if you want. That's an obvious example, but and actually similar in a lot of ways. But I think every great power goes through this. There is just something about the upward flow of intelligence and how it's it's massaged and sunshined as it gets uh, higher and higher. And the people at the top, well, sometimes they don't know what's actually going on on the ground. And sometimes they just continue the sunshining, uh, you know, uh, process. To, to disseminate it to the ultimate ruler, which is allegedly us, the people, we the people. It's shocking yet unsurprising. When we asked for accounts from guys who participated in the training of the Afghan uh, troops last week, unanimous, unanimous and nearly hilarious stories about how utterly incompetent they were and how hopeless the situation was. And yet you just you don't get a hint of that out of the leaders. It seems to me there's two completely different stories of what's going on right now. One, you can argue over the policies of getting out and uh, Trump wanting to make a deal with the Taliban and Biden wanting to continue that and get out, whether that was a good idea or a bad idea. Even if you think it was a good idea, though, how do you end up doing it like this? How do you end up doing it to where you're smashing computers in your own embassy and burning things as people frantically get to the airport under gunfire? I mean, right. that's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So here's here's the two, uh, or the most important thing you might not know, unless you follow our Twitter feed, because Mike Lyons made me aware of this on Saturday night, I think, as he responded to our Twitter feed. And then I saw uh, General Barry McCafferty of NBC reiterate it yesterday. And see, only time I've heard anybody mention this the entire weekend up until today. We are, as we speak, getting people out of that airport at the Taliban's pleasure. They are allowing us to do that. If they didn't want us to do that, we could not get planes in or out. That is completely up to them. Mike Lyons tweeted at us over the weekend. He said, the real issue is, is the Taliban going to let us land and leave? He said, because we do not have the ability to do that on our own. They now have control of that narrative. And it must mm-hmm. they must feel like it's in their interest to let us go because they don't have to. And General Barry, Barry McCafferty yesterday on NBC News said, I want everybody to understand this point right now because everybody's discussing the getting out. The Taliban is letting us leave. We aren't. We have no. Um, what's the term they use in military agency? We have no agency mm-hmm. right now. They are allowing something to happen. We're not doing it, which yeah, is well, something. The only thing we have, which is enough at this point, is the full might and fury of the American military and the assurance that, and I'm sure the toothless Biden administration made this clear, that if you move on any of our personnel as we evacuate, we will come back. We will come back hard. We'll decimate you. Um, and, and thank not, God it's holding for now. I'm not sure that's the reason the Taliban's going along with us. There were some reports over the weekend that we were giving them boatloads of cash. And we just plain said, here's a million dollars in a briefcase. And they thought, cool. That's the way they made We already gave them like $10 billion worth of gear. Yeah, geez. Those pictures of the Taliban driving into towns in brand new trucks with brand new guns and everything that we paid for as a taxpayer. But another thing that pops into my head, this is one of the first stories that's on cable news that has shown up in my real life. And I don't know how long. Everywhere I went, hot dog vendor Target, wherever I went, people were talking about this on some level. 
guy uh-huh. at, the, at the hot dog are saying, oh, yeah, yeah, driving around in trucks I paid for. Awesome. Just awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to the delivery of our helicopters to the Chinese so they can reverse engineer every single square inch of them. That'll be uh, delightful as well. China's uh, embassy, by the way, still open. Russia's embassy still open in Kabul. Ours uh, obviously closed. The uh, ambassador grabbed the flag and got out. The British ambassador... Russia? Really? The British ambassador staying was there as of last night. I don't know if he is at this moment, but stayed much longer than our ambassador to continue to try to get work done to get people out of Afghanistan who had helped the Brits. You know, because they had 100 soldiers in Afghanistan, 100,000 soldiers in Afghanistan at one time. The British ambassador stayed much longer than our ambassador trying to help get people out. I don't know if that means anything or not. Mm. We're going to talk yeah. to Mike Lyons later. Uh, I'll be interested to hear what he has to say about this. He was a get-out guy, wasn't he? Yes, although he and virtually everybody, myself included, would have finished that sentence with get out, but make sure you have enough forces there for an orderly and safe withdrawal, evacuation. I mean, granted, nobody saw the Taliban taking the entire country by the weekend. I mean, that was... Uh, It was absolutely known that they would take the country, but nobody knew it would be this weekend. But the fact that we are reduced to begging for our countrymen's lives and and, uh, a couple more minutes to get out of town, is uh, it's awful. Speaking of Joe Biden, we ought to officially start the show. It is Monday, August 16th, the year 2021, where Armstrong and Getty and we approve of this program. And the show begins officially according to FCC rules and regs at Mark. The Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. We hear the sound of helicopters overhead, but otherwise there's a real climate here of fear and dread about what the future holds. Yeah. The, the, the weekend started with uh, trying to avoid a Saigon moment. That was us getting our helicopters off the roof of the embassy in Vietnam with people hanging off the helicopters. And I thought, oh, that's a little overwrought. You're trying too hard to make a comparison. Then it looked a little more like Saigon. And then by the end of the day yesterday, uh, Jonah Goldberg of the Dispatch said, this is clearly worse than Saigon. You had people stampeding the airport, begging to get in, getting into the helicopters. So many people getting into our helicopters that we couldn't lift off. So then we were having to push people out and force people out of our own planes so we could get them off the ground. And that's what's currently going on right now. Wow. Wow. uh, I'm looking at some quotes from Robert Gates here. And sure enough, Joe Biden has continued to be wrong on every foreign policy decision in the last 50 years. Yeah, that's rough. Did you see the official picture that Biden put out yesterday? I've heard people comment on that's the picture you release. I didn't. What is it? Well, it was supposed to make him look like, you know, a man in charge on, on top of this situation. But it was him alone in a room shot in such a way that he looked very small with this giant table. And he's he's doing a, a like a Zoom conference with his his people. They aren't there, but he's just alone. And having a nice bowl of Jello. He's just alone in the room, and he's wearing a golf shirt. And because he's so old and now frail looking, and he's kind of hunched over, and he just looked weak and sad. Wow! I thought it did not look like a man in charge at all. Of course, he wow. might be feeling pretty weak and sad. You wonder if psychologically he can come back from this. But anyway, more on that later. And there are plenty of people wondering that, including Obama's old ambassador. Obama's old ambassador to Afghanistan said yesterday, I'm not sure Joe Biden can recover from this. Wow. But, um, how, wow. Do, how does mail bag look? Oh, it's quite good. Quite good. A uh, little this, little that. Uh, lighthearted uh, compared to the news of the day. 
Unbelievable. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The Atlantic with a headline, no right-wing publication, and George Packer writing, Biden's betrayal of Afghans will live in infamy. This is a major historical sort of story that happened over the weekend. Well, and the full horror of it, I don't think, has uh, penetrated the consciousness of Americans. Boy, and when it does, what's that going to look like? And I, 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 I don't, I don't even really want to make this about politics, you know, today. But uh, I wonder what that's going to look like in terms of polling and stuff like that. We, I, we talked. I brought that up last week. If this goes south, are people gonna, you know, just feel bad and blame the guy that's currently in charge? I don't know. More on that later. Plenty of blame to go around, although as long as you've introduced the topic, I could easily see, uh, and this this I will enjoy, frankly, and I hate to put my own really disgusting pleasure in front of the headline, but uh, Kamala Harris is going to feel the need to break from Biden, and you're going to start to see uh, divisions and sniping and that sort of thing. That would be enjoyable. By the way, that uh, picture of Joe Biden, the official picture that you mentioned, my uh, buddy Mike Lawyer says, I thought it was a pathetic attempt to reenact that picture of Kennedy in the Oval Office looking lonely yet uh, full of leadership. They failed. God, I'd say. In the eye of the storm Cuban Missile Crisis picture, so famous. Right. Yeah, Yeah, you're right, where he's like leaning on the window seal and looking outside and, uh, yeah. Right. It's like a man. The weight of the world on his shoulders. Yeah, that is not what the Joe Biden picture looked like yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Here's your freedom-loving quote of the day. As long as I was quoting Robert M. Gates earlier, I dug into some of the things he's said and written. I like this one, and it's directly applicable. What I know concerns me. What I don't know concerns me even more. What people aren't telling me worries me the most. Wow, that's a good one. Every boss should should have that on their wall. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Mailbag. I should have teased this. Because I enjoyed it so much, Ryan from Houston has renamed the uh, three branches of the government. Of course, we're used to the uh, legislative branch, the judicial branch, the executive branch. Guys, I think it's safe to say we don't have three co-equal branches of government anymore. We have an executive branch that has quasi-dictatorial powers. They'll do what they feel like doing, even if they know it's not constitutional. We have a judicial branch that tells the executive branch, yeah, it's not constitutional, but there's nothing we can do about it. Then we have lazy mother effers in Congress that do nothing and pass the buck instead of doing their GD job. So uh, to review, we have the dictatorial branch, the you-can't-do-that-but-go-ahead branch, and the lazy mother-father branch, if you will. I like that. It goes on some detail, but I think that's the main point. That's pretty accurate. I got a lot of stuff on that. Maybe we'll get to it at some point today yeah. or this week. On the history, the recent history of presidents doing things they know, it's gone from could be unconstitutional to, I think this is unconstitutional, to just stating this is flat out unconstitutional and doing it anyway. But it'll buy us a little time. Uh, Comparing and contrasting George Washington and Joe Biden. Chris writes, George Washington, crossed the Delaware. Joe Biden, hides in Delaware. Hmm. So, I'm looking at the headline up on CNN. Biden to address the nation in the next couple of days. Everybody is wondering about that. What? One of the biggest things that's happened in 50 years in terms of uh, Americans' presence on the world stage. 
and in a couple of days you might say something. And his press secretary, uh, I saw a tweet last night, um, p- people trying to call her, no response. She was, a, you know, I'm out of the office or whatever. So the president and his own spokesman go silent on the biggest story in 50 years. I think part of that is because he's an old man and he still thinks everybody's getting their news from the, you know, the Monday morning newspaper and not aware that they're getting moment by moment updates straight from Afghanistan on their Twitter and maybe you ought to say something. Well, I'm going to leap to the president's defense and point out there's nothing he can say. Nothing he can say that won't make the situation look worse for him. That's possibly true. What would you say? Can anybody think of anything that wouldn't be humiliating? Anybody? Certainly, if you did a, if you did a press conference, the first question is going to be: You said three days ago that they couldn't overrun the country. Three days ago, they've overrun the country. Uh, what? <laughs> That's a tough one. That's re- I don't know what you say to that. This country. Armstrong and Getty. The Taliban have now pretty much taken over. Boy, we didn't. We knew it would happen. Not quite this fast. They're taking over Afghanistan and and Biden. I'm telling you, so many things. COVID spreading and this. You had a press conference today. First thing he said was, uh, "So how about all that crack my kid does?" <laughs> He's like. <laughs> That's a funny joke, as uh, Bill Maher's making the point. Joe Biden would rather talk about something else. He did not actually have a press conference on Friday or at any point over the weekend, nor has he said anything, nor has his press secretary taken any questions, although I, I assume she'll have to today. Richard Engel of NBC News tweeted out, thinking tonight about all the Afghans who only knew what life was like over the past 20 years. You know, in these kind of countries, the uh. populations are young. There are a lot of people that as long as they can remember... The Taliban hasn't been in charge. It was just a story to them. There was violence, yes, but also hope and opportunities. Now both are gone, especially for girls and women. This is also Richard Ingle asked today on MSNBC about uh, the predictability of this. Was there anyone on the ground there who thought this would go well, that this was a good idea? Uh, no. Military commanders I spoke to here in Afghanistan uh, predicted that the government would collapse other uh, analysts, experts, Afghans that I spoke to uh, in the government and out predicted that this would happen. Uh, we did numerous reports saying that this would happen, that the Afghan security forces weren't ready when the decision was made to pull the plug to evacuate Bagram Air Base. He's calmed down now after a whole weekend of being pretty flustered, as I watched Richard Engel all weekend long, when he would say, I, I've been reporting this every day. I've been telling you all this was going to happen. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So the official White House line was, eh, it won't be overrun. Uh, the country, we think the Afghan government can uh, stand. Behind the scenes, it was, eh, I'll give it six months. In reality, it was six days. That's, That's amazing. It really is. The way they walked into Kabul, the president having fled, saying 24 hours earlier, no, this is my country and I will die here. He's on a plane less than 24 hours later. And the Taliban walk in, many of them unarmed, with zero resistance. Right, right. Having sent word, listen, don't shoot at us, we won't shoot at you. Everybody knows we're taking over. 
Anyway, uh, Craig Whitlock did some great reporting in the WAPO. uh, His headline is Afghan Security Forces Wholesale Collapse Was Years in the Making. And he starts in 2011. Army Lieutenant General William Caldwell IV made a round of public appearances to boast that he'd finally solved the problem that kept U.S. troops bogged down in Afghanistan for a decade. Under his watch, he asserted U.S. military advisors and trainers had transformed the ragtag Afghan army and police into a professional fighting force that could defend the country and keep the Taliban at bay. And it goes into his quotes about, we've made tremendous strides, incredible progress. They're probably the best trained, best equipped, and best led of any forces we've developed yet. The only, they only continue to get better with time. Three months later, in a news briefing at the Pentagon, Caldwell said the Afghan soldiers and, and police had previously been in terrible shape, but thanks to the Obama administration, $6 billion a year, etc., uh, he predicted the Taliban-led insurgency would subside, the Afghans would take over responsibility for securing their country by the end of 2014, enabling U.S. combat troops to leave. That is hilarious in retrospect. In fact, according to documents obtained for the forthcoming Washington Post book that Jack mentioned, the Afghanistan Papers, Secret History of the War, U.S. military officials privately harbored fundamental doubts for the duration of the war that the Afghan security forces could ever become competent or shed their dependency on U.S. money and firepower. Thinking we could build a military that fast and that well was insane, an unnamed former U.S. official told government interviewers in 2016. Ah, Afghanistan Papers author Craig Wetlock explains, although U.S. intelligence officials had recently forecast the possible demise of the Afghan government over the next three to six months, the Biden administration was caught unprepared. Afghan forces proved incapable of defending the country, according to Anthony Blinken. Over two decades, we, the U.S., U.S. taxpayers, invested more than $85 billion to train and equip the Afghans and pay their salary, and they lasted a week. Today, all that is left is arsenals of weapons, ammunition, and supplies that have fallen into the hands of the enemy. Robert Gates describes, we kept changing the guys who were in charge of training the Afghan forces, and every time a new guy came in, he changed the way they were being trained. The one thing they had in common was they were all trying to train a Western army instead of figuring out the strengths of the Afghans as a fighting people and then build on that. Now we get into the unintentionally darkly hilarious stuff. Major Greg Escobar, U.S. Army Infantry, spent 2011 trying to straighten out the dysfunctional Afghan Army unit in this province near the border with Pakistan. The first Afghan battalion commander, who he mentored, lost his job after he was charged with raping one of his male soldiers. The commander's replacement, in turn, was killed by his own men. Escobar came to realize the whole exercise was futile because the U.S. military was pushing too fast and the Afghans were not responding to what was, in the end, a foreign experiment. Uh, how about this? I got another one for you. Major Mark Glaspell, Army Engineer, 101st Airborne, served as a mentor to Afghan forces from 2010 to 2011, said even simple exercises went haywire. They were trying to teach an Afghan platoon how to exit a, C- a CH-47 Chinook heavy lift helicopter. They lacked an actual Chinook to practice on, so they lined up folding chairs and instructed the Afghans how to disembark. We were working on that, he says, and it was going pretty good, and all of a sudden this Afghan soldier walks up, and he and one of the guys start to get into an argument. A third Afghan soldier then picked up a folding chair and pounded the first guy over the head, he said. Well, then it was a brawl. It was on. He let all the Afghans duke it out till they got tired. My interpreter actually looked at me, shook his head, and said, this is why we'll never be successful, and he walked away. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
I know. I know. I got a little more for you. Oh, oh my God. It's worth... that, is, that is darkly hilarious. <laughs> I know. In light I know. of it's all so of the... sad. Oh, I've, I've taken in so much of this over the weekend, and it is awful on 15 different levels from individual women that are probably dead already, having been raped over the weekend, to the big picture of what does this say about the United States going forward for the next century. Everything in between. But that mm-hmm. was funny. Yeah. Well, we, we read those emails last week from guys who had actually actually trained the Afghan forces, saying if they got them to train for like an hour and a half, two hours a day, that was a huge victory. Can you imagine? Marines listening, can you imagine? So Jack Cam, retired Army officer. Uh, he was uh, General Caldwell's deputy from 2009 to 2011. Uh, said recruiting was hard enough, but was compounded by startling rates of desertion and attrition and trying to maintain an ethnic balance in the force among Afghanistan's fractious tribes. Tribes was an enormous problem, those of you trying to turn America into a tribal country. But perhaps the biggest hardship was having to teach virtually every recruit how to read. He estimated only 2 to 5% of Afghan recruits could read at a third grade level, despite efforts by the United States to enroll millions of Afghan children in school over the previous decade. The literacy was insurmountable. Some Afghans also had to learn their colors or to be taught how to count. I mean, you'd ask an Afghan soldier how many brothers and sisters they had, and they couldn't tell you it was four. They couldn't, they could tell you the names, but they couldn't go one, two, three, four. And you're trying to teach these people to fly helicopters? Making everything harder was the Obama administration's decision to rapidly expand the size of the Afghan security forces from 200,000 soldiers and police to 350,000. With recruits at a premium, Afghans were rushed through boot camp, even if they couldn't shoot or perform other basic tasks. Jack, back to what do you call its rule? When a, when a, when a measure becomes a standard, it ceases to be an accurate measure? Goodhart's law. Yeah, yeah. So they said, all right, we need 350. Soldiers and uh, policemen. And so the people on the ground said, all right, you want a number? We'll give you a number. They can't shoot. They don't know how to button their uniform, but we'll give you that number. Mm-hmm. I just saw there was a big. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say, uh, quoting the same guy, there was a big debate. Either you can have a small Afghan army and police that's highly trained to high quality, or you can have a lot of them, but they won't meet quality standards. They'll just be poorly equipped and poorly trained. And the decision was made to go bulk. I don't quite get some of the media where they're talking about, um, you know, whether these little girls are going to get to be doctors now. Are you freaking kidding me? They're going village to village and rounding up any uh, girl old enough to have sex with and making them sex slaves. Are you freaking kidding me? I think some of the media still has not grasped the reality of what's happening here. I was just looking at a picture of they had a, Today versus yesterday of Clarissa Ward, CBS correspondent, who is still in Kabul for some reason. Yikes. But um, they had a picture of her like a week ago. She's in Western clothes, like, you know, your I'm a foreign reporter vest and her blonde hair and everything like that. And then yesterday with the face covering and everything like that, because Taliban's back in charge. Got to dress the way they want if you want to stay alive. Yeah. That is. Oh, I can't believe she's still there. I can't either. Fareed Zakaria, I think, on CNN asked her yesterday, aren't you worried? I mean, they're, 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 aren't you scared about getting out? Uh, she ought to be. I, I was watching a reporter, a British guy, I think it was a BBC guy, and he was up there and he was saying, hold on a second. He was on the camera. He said, hold a second. That's the Taliban right there. He said, hey, guys, that's the Taliban right there walking down the street. 
I mean, they just had walked into Kabul, and that's how fast they got in. They're still trying to do reporting on the Taliban is just outside of town, and are they going to make up? They've made a their their push is over. They're in town. I don't think I have the vocabulary to describe a collapse or a. a I guess it was just it's just a surrender. It's a widespread surrender. There was no the, the regime didn't fall. It just ran away. The thing I'll never understand, I guess, because nobody wants to explain it, I don't get why we had to keep calling it a war, because that boxes you into certain things. Wars are won and lost. Why did we keep calling it a war? Why couldn't we pivot away from the whole war language a long time ago and go with a, we're going to have a base here to keep things from getting too crazy occupation? Why couldn't that happen? What stopped sure. that from happening? Because that clearly well, seems to be, well, uh, according to all the smart people I, I like, the thing that we should have done. Kept whatever we had there up until recently. You know, 3,500 troops, enough to keep the Taliban from swarming over the country and to be able to mm-hmm. keep an eye on things. Well, and, and to your point, I, it, for whatever reason, the idea of a client state or a state that's dependent on us is... I don't know, seen as it's, it's, it's bad. It's bad juju. You don't want it. It's ugly. Why not just say, all right, look, we're going to prop up this country so it doesn't become a hotbed of terrorism. It's just going to cost us a few troops. We haven't had a combat death in Afghanistan in quite a while. It's been like one in a year and a half. It's it's not yeah. that deadly an, you know, an occupation for us. Well, there are way more cops shot in, in oh, Chicago. Oh, heck yeah. Um, so anyway, I just say, yeah, we're going to keep the air base strategic, uh, center, blah, blah, blah. The war is long over. We're just going to make sure Afghan, uh, Afghanistan isn't overrun. I don't, why, why is that so difficult? Why does everybody get so stuck in the orthodoxy of the Afghan war, our longest war? I'm not as concerned as like Liz Cheney, Dick Cheney's daughter. And that matters to this story because she sees the world through the lens that he saw it through nine 11 and everything that goes with it. But I'm not as concerned about terrorist attacks as like she is and others are. I am pretty damn concerned about uh, American prestige and where this puts us uh, in the eyes of the world with China trying to make the claim that, look, we're we're weak and ineffectual and you can't count on us on the world stage. I, I think that this this could have been a major moment over the weekend for the role of the United States as the world's leader. Major moment. Well, say we go into, I don't know, uh, Ethiopia or one of those countries in Central Africa and say, uh, look, we're going to defeat Boko Haram now. We have to. They attacked, I don't know, the, the, the Austin, Texas. Uh, but we need you to help. Will you be our translator? Will you help us out? Because don't worry. We'll, if, if everything goes haywire, we'll get you out safely. We, we won't abandon you or anything like that. They'll just guffaw. And they should. Yeah. yeah. That would be the logical response based on what you've just seen. Yeah, I'm not going to commit suicide. Forget it. Do it on your own, they'd say. By the way, it was yeah. Ian Bremmer, friend of the Armstrong and Getty show, who uh, tweeted out yesterday that the uh, the British ambassador is staying and still working to get U.K. citizens out. The American ambassador left Kabul early today. Hmm. Maybe there's a reason for that. I don't know. But well, the I'm look, sure again, ordered again the optics. The optics matter a lot on this. If it looks like, well, the way it looks is... We've got a barbed wire fence there, and we're getting anybody who's American out. You on the other side of the fence, good luck being slaves of the Taliban. That's what it looks like. I'd say that's pretty accurate. I mean, aside from the few we can stuff onto a transport plane or a helicopter, yeah, you're all screwed. 
It's wild. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Uh, hour two, we will talk to Mike Lyons, who knows a lot about this sort of thing and has some strong opinions, I'm sure. He was uh, pretty worked up on the on the Twitter machine all weekend long. Be interested in what any of you folks think, because I heard people talking about it in my real life, which doesn't usually happen. Uh, we've got and we lot- continue to welcome your, your emails, too. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Those of you who served in Afghanistan. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Our military mission in Afghanistan will conclude on August 31st. We trained and equipped with modern equipment over 300,000 Afghan forces. We remain, we retain personnel and, ca- and capacities in the country, and we maintain some authority, this, excuse me, the same authority under which we've been operating for some time. Afghan leaders have to come together. The jury is still out, but the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Let's take a step back. This is manifestly not Saigon. Yeah, well, so the politics of it, I feel almost dirty talking about the politics of it, uh, honestly, with the reality of the, the, the heartache on the ground, but So Stephen Hayes of the Dispatch tweeted out yesterday, many times in recent days, top Biden administration officials warned the Taliban they would be isolated by the international community if they took power. And then he's retweeting the fact that the Chinese and Russian embassies are open still in Kabul. You're not isolated by all the world community, obviously. And even if you were, they don't freaking care. So what what I don't get is how did they think this was going to play? Biden and the and the Secretary of State continuing to say in the face of all reality these various things. What what do you think's going on there? Is it possible they're so immersed in that world they actually see the world that way? The Taliban is going to suffer international isolation and uh, lack of legitimacy. I mean that's so college chalkboard as opposed to the real world. Well, what's the na- crazy? Let me let me find the Nancy Pelosi tweet that I that I tweeted retweeted yesterday, uh, something along those lines. But I I can't figure out what their strategy is on that. Um, if there is any strategy whatsoever, uh, I tweeted out. She actually said this today. Is her TV broken? Nancy Pelosi tweeted out, and I looked at the timeline at the bottom. It was nine oh four yesterday. The president is to be commended for the clarity of purpose of his statement on Afghanistan and his action. The Taliban must know the world is watching its actions. We are concerned about reports regarding the Taliban's brutal treatment of all Afghans, especially women and girls. What? It's just posturing. For who? Virtue signaling. For who? For her voters. No, I ain't working. You know, I don't know about the voters, but I'll tell you what, the cable news channels that usually lap up everything Biden and Pelosi say, they weren't buying it. Even the lefties on those channels, when Biden came out over the weekend and said, look, Trump made this deal. Trump made this deal. I had no choice. And everybody's saying, ah, wait a second. You came in and you immediately reversed all of his immigration uh, stuff. You came in, you immediately reversed all of his stuff about COVID. You reversed, you reversed all kinds of things that Trump did. But this one you stuck with. Don't don't claim that you had no choice. What the hell is that? 
I, I don't know how how permanent a mark this is going to leave, but if you if you look at the COVID situation, which ain't great, and, and by the way, it's not just red states, as I told you, it's going to go where it's going to go, and now it's all the blue cities are getting murdered. Anyway, you, when you combine COVID, the nightmare at the border that more and more people left, right, and center are becoming aware of, and then this Afghan, Afghanistan debacle, I'm telling you, these these are the, 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 this is not a good trend for the Biden administration. I wonder what their poll numbers are going to look like in a month. I wonder if Biden's going to be in the 30s next month, and it not not completely deservedly so, but certainly partially, um, because you know this was going to end up this way when we pulled out, no matter what. But it didn't have to go exactly like this at the airport. That's the part I don't get in getting all the 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 the, the translators and everybody out. What the hell? We're going to talk to Mike Lyons, who's an expert on all this, Hour 2. Armstrong and Getty.